when the opportunity came to go into the line of fire, to directly engage the enemy, to go out and save Calvin Harrison. He didn't flinch. He did, Mark did, what we all wish we would do in combat. And he did it. And I think there's a, there's a special place for people who are that selfless. Hey everybody, this is Thad Forrester with Patriot to the Core. Thank you for tuning in again to this episode. This is number 76, and this is kind of a special episode as we commemorate the 10-year anniversary of my brother Mark's death in Afghanistan. I wanted to do something a little bit different and kind of dig into the notification. Our family went had a uh, simultaneous notification between our parents and me at Mark's request, and so I know that Mark's leadership was very concerned that someone wouldn't be home and Mark's desires wouldn't be met. But turns out we were home. It happened as as good as it possibly could have. So General Armfield is here to talk about that and how they planned for that, how they rehearse, how the people were chosen who came to our homes, how they st- watched the house for hours until Dad got home from work. And then they kind of what gave him 10 minutes and then boom, they knock on the door. And within about a minute, they knock on my door in Tuscaloosa. So General Armfield gives us some some great insight into the notification and also just the uniqueness of it in the special tactics world and how it's not how everyone in the military does it. And it's not how the regular big Air Force does it either. He also shares his thoughts on Mark's final act on the earth. And as I've been preparing for this September 29th, 2020 date, I've been reflecting on just the great people that came from near and far to support us at that time of Mark's death. You know, he was killed on a Wednesday on September 29th, and his funeral was not until the following Thursday. So there was quite a bit of time that lapsed there. And so we had just a crazy amount of people coming to the house every day. We had food sent from all over. I, I don't even know where it all came from, but these were individuals. These were churches. These were organizations. So many good people that wanted to help. And, and most people probably didn't know how to help, so they did what they thought they could. And we were so, so grateful. It took many people to to manage the food, to manage the phone, to plan, of course, the funeral. Uh, we had officers there that that helped uh, with the air force barry and sasha just good as gold worked their butts off took such good care of us and we had people calling us saying hey you can come we would like to cut your hair they knew there was a lot of military at our home please let us cut your hair or they didn't charge my family for dry cleaning i mean there was there was just so many good people cards gifts all types of all types of just great gestures and I uh, then you throw in the the Patriot Guard riders and how great they were now I document them pretty well in my book but also what I wanted to say is the night I got home I drove up from Tuscaloosa after I was notified I got to mom and dad's lots of people were there at that time and Barry and Sasha were on the phone making arrangements for getting us to Dover Air Force Base for the dignified transfer and I, at the same time great family friend, Bo Knight, was on the phone working out his own plans for that. I don't know whose idea it was, but I guess it was Bo's. He didn't want our family to have to deal with the regular commercial travel. And I think what it was is the Air Force was going to cover tickets for three family members, I believe, to get us to Dover. Well, we, we kind of have a bigger family than that, but what happened is Bo and many other great people in the area they, they got together a private plane that was there at the airport in Hateville and flew us to Dover. So mom, dad, and I, and then uh, Barry and Sasha flew to Dover. We landed straight at Dover Air Force Base. I know there were some folks there on the ground that were confused because they weren't used to seeing private aircraft land there. Uh, Mike Bailey, God bless you for piloting us, taking us up there and back. And uh, for letting me sit in the front, coming back, that was pretty cool to to see, to be able to see multiple cities from way up high that late that night, and to hear all the the air chatter from the different airports. But on, but uh, this allowed for Joseph to fly commercially from San Antonio and meet us there at Dover, and then uh, he flew back with us on the plane. 
So that was just another lifesaver to be able to drive 10 minutes down the road, if it's even that far from mom and dad's house to the airport, and then to land there late that night and uh, to get home because we were obviously uh, dead tired from all the activities and the and the emotions. So General Armfield does a great job here of explaining what happened. This is very interesting to me, and I think it will be to most of my family, the rest of you. It, it's... Uh, uh, I don't know, but it's it's definitely educating, and it's a topic that's you don't find much information about. But Gwen Arfield recently completed nearly three decades of service in the Air Force, retiring as a brigadier general. He now owns RGA Consulting Group, where he advises a number of clients on leadership, risk management, and technology development. And during his time in the military, he served as the U.S. Central Command Vice Director for Strategy and Plans, Deputy Commanding General for U.S. and Coalition Special Operations Forces in Afghanistan and commanded Air Force Special Tactics Forces at the squadron, group, and wing level. It was an honor to have him on the show. We've met him multiple times now. He spoke at the Spaghetti Supper in 2019, the night before Mark's annual race and walk. And I know we saw him again at the University of Alabama at the unveiling of Mark's bust a few years ago. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. All right, General Armfield, so the reason why I wanted to have you on is I just went out and spoke to a, a group at the Enlisted Association of the National Guard of Utah, and uh, it was like their annual conference. I haven't spoken about Mark in a, in a kind of an informal setting for several years, and so I started preparing for that a few months ago, and preparing for that and then the 10-year mark of his death coming up kind of made me realize, man, I'd like to get some insight into the notification. There may not be many people who are interested in this, but I know that my family is. So I was like, General, I thought General Arfield will have some good insight. And then I asked Joseph, and he said, and he and I didn't even say your name, and he told me, talk to General Arfield. So thank you for being on the show, first of all. Yeah, that, thanks for having me. I mean, of course, your family, you guys are special to us, and you know, always will be. And, you know, we've got an Alabama connection through my son who graduated there as well. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So will you tell us in September of 2010, what was your title and your role within the Air Force? Yeah. So um, I was the commander of the 720th Special Tactics Group, which was the uh, overall headquarters uh, in command of all U.S.-based combat controllers and special operation pararescuemen in our special operation weather teams uh, organized within different squadrons uh, across the U.S. Uh, of course, you know, Mark being assigned to the 21st uh, Special Tactics Squadron out of Pope Air Force Base. So they were one of a number of squadrons that were part of my group. So uh, to put it in perspective, um, Mark's squadron commander or unit commander was part, Lieutenant Colonel Parks Hughes. I was Parks' commander. And then my commander was uh, Lieutenant General Donnie Worcester, the commander of Air Force Special Operations Command, which is the Air Force Major Command for all Special Operations Forces in the Air Force. And then he answers uh, to the Chief of Staff and the Secretary of the Air Force. So on September 29th, how did you find out about Mark's death and about what time did you find out? Yeah, it was, um, you know, we may want to back up a little bit and just talk about the month of September and all that was going on within special tactics then. But so on that day on the 29th, I had, I usually get up around 4.30 in the morning and um, on certain days I'll go in early and we'll work out as a group. But um, on this day, um, on that Wednesday, I'm sorry, yeah, on the Wednesday, the 29th of September, um, I'd gotten up around 4.30 in the morning and had, uh, done some personal time and then gone for done my physical training. I think I'd gone for a run and lifted some weights there at home. And um, usually I spend about an hour working out on the days I don't go in to work out with the team. And uh, I had eaten breakfast. My wife had cooked me breakfast and um, the kids were getting ready to go to school. And um, I was, I usually leave right around seven to drive to Herbert field. And uh, just as I was uh, headed out the door, um, I got a call from uh, Lieutenant Colonel Hughes from Parks Hughes. Uh, he was uh, downrange in Afghanistan, was making the initial initial notification, you know, back to the U.S. that that Mark had been killed. So um, I clearly remember standing in my uh, little breakfast alcove talking to Parks, and you know, we we uh, having casualties was not uncommon to us. And so uh, phone rang and talked to Parks and. Um, he goes, hey, sir, this one's going to hurt. He goes, this one's going to hurt us a lot. 
and uh, we lost Mark Forrester. And uh, he was killed in a ruse gone, and he went through the details of it. So um, I think this was, you know, maybe an hour and a half or so. If I, if I did the time right on this, I think, you know, um, Mark was in his, uh, was engaging the enemy for the last time there about around 530 Central Time. So this was about 90 minutes later uh, is when Parks called me. And then I initiated the uh, the call to General Wooster, who then calls the chief of staff and the secretary, informs them, and uh, we then begin our uh, notification process. I'll stop there, uh, and let's talk about the notification process, maybe, and like how we did that. So we we kind of did it uniquely, and I think the the bigger Air Force didn't always appreciate how we did it uh, and the and the amount of resources we put against it. But General Wooster appreciated it. And in uh, our in our families, as you guys know, appreciate the extra effort that we uh, put into our cash and notifications. And I think that was a uh, a good investment of resources. And uh, as I counsel other folks now on how to do this, as that's why I tell them, I'm like, hey, you, you got to go big on this. And so <clears throat> Mark and I, I mean, Parks and I's follow-on conversation after we got to the, the details of um, the initial incident uh, report was how we were going to do the notification. And so he he had the information, and we were very um, conscious to have next-of-kin information readily available. So we knew that um, mom and dad were going to be up in Haleyville, Alabama. <clears throat> we did the, we did a quick map study, and um, we, we knew that we had two uh, of our chief master sergeants at the uh, senior NCO academy at Montgomery, Alabama, down the road, uh, going to... Um, they were getting ready to finish up. They were the nearest uh, special tactics members to Haleyville. And so uh, we, it was early in the morning, so we were able to get, get uh, Calvin and Sean on the phone. Uh, they briefed their leadership there at the school who cleared them off to go help do uh, notification and preparation. That kind of got things going. Now, I'll stop there, and let's talk some more kind of about how that day played out. Yeah, so I know that you had to get – you had to get two teams. You had two already in Alabama that were about three and a half hours away, Calvin and Sean. It sounds like you flew maybe um, maybe Lagren or someone left from Florida and went to North Carolina. You had to get a plane to Haleyville. So. Sure. So um, just to back up for a little bit here, I think it's worth contextually just um, thinking through what had happened in the weeks prior to Mark's death. So uh, Mark was killed um, on the 29th. And uh, if you go back uh, 13 days to the 16th of September, Senior Airman Danny Sanchez uh, from the 23rd Special Tactics Squadron, which uh, was was killed in a, in a um, roughly similar location to where Mark was. So Danny was killed on the 16th. Uh, we notified his mom, Yvette, who lives out in El Paso, uh, about, you know, obviously that tragic loss. And then the following week, 22nd, 23rd, we had Danny's funeral. So uh, we had returned back to Florida from Texas on, on, the, on the 24th, and this was uh, five days later. So a uh, different squadron, but underneath the same forward command. So Parks used had command of all special tactics forces underneath the 21st SDS, and then a part of that unit was a part of the 23rd was augmenting him. Yeah, so Danny and, and Mark were both serving underneath the same command there, but we had just finished uh, with, with Danny's funeral and all that goes all that goes with that. And then basically, this is, you know, three business days later, uh, Mark is killed. So um, the way we like to do this is, um, you know, we like one of our own to notify the family. And uh, that requires a lot of logistics. And the Air Force's uh, request to us is they said, hey, we'll, we'll allow you all to do that. So the normal process is that the nearest Air Force installation will send a notification team out to, you know, whichever family where the family's location is, and they'll, they'll do it. So you don't know who you're going to get and kind of how that's going to go, and they really don't have a lot of details. They'll just do the initial notification. We, we don't like the way that turns out. And so uh, Joel Rooster's uh, agreement with me was that if we could get a team there to the family quicker than the Air Force could, we'll be allowed to do it ourselves. So uh, we, had, we had leveraged capabilities within Air Force Special Operations Command to do the notification for Yvette Sanchez. So we, we had um, used some uh, ASSOC aircraft that were doing training missions, and uh, they were able to legally, you know, through the rules and everything, uh, transporting notification team to notify um, Danny's mom. So, you know, this, this is uh, two weeks later. And, uh, I, you know, I called the um, 
I called the wing commander up who had the aircraft needed. And I'm like, hey, I hate to tell you, but I need to board another airplane. And um, here's, here's what's going on. And here's, here's the locations we need to go to. I, I need to launch out of um, Herbert Field, fly up to Pope, pick up the notification team, and fly them down to, um, to Haleyville. And, uh, you know, and I explained, we're going to have a, you know, Chief Master Sergeant Baird, Combat Controller, Kevin Mark and Sean are going to meet the aircraft. I'll transport the notification team because usually it's the squadron commander or the, uh, the acting squadron commander in this case that does the notification. So uh, we need to get that person there to do the notification. That was uh, Major Ed Lagren. So uh, we received we, we a little bit of pushback, you know, and this is like, well, you know, I'm not sure we can do it. And I'm like, okay, hey, Roger, that thanks. So uh, I called, uh, I worked for the, the you know, three-star MADCOM commander, General Wooster. His deputy is uh, just a great Air Force officer and war fighter named O.G. Manon. Major General O.G. Manon was the um, vice commander of Vastock at the time. O.G. and I both are from North Carolina. Uh, we share a little bit of Tar Heel blood between us. And so I called uh, Major General Manon up and I'm like, hey, sir, look, um, here's the deal. I need to get a team, you know, uh, from Polk to Haleyville. I've got a team on the ground to receive them, but uh, I'm getting some pushback. He's like, stand by. <laughs> I'll call you back in five minutes. And so he basically calls the, you know, the, 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 the commander of the flying organization and said, hey, you know, you're, you're going to find a way to support uh, this next akin notification. And, and that's the most important mission you've got all day today. So about seven minutes later, I got a phone call from the flying unit commander saying, okay, hey, I've got guidance. I'm going to support you. I'm like, I thought you would. I appreciate that. So here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and so we got all the – got everything uh, in motion and uh, got an aircraft up to Pope, and um, they, they were doing their training and everything along the way and got the team on the ground there in Haleyville. And, uh, you know, Calvin was there to um, – Calvin was there to meet them. He had kind of, you know, scoped everything out there in the local area. So – you know, we very closely track this at the group headquarters. You know, we, we've got a, a team of folks, small group of folks that are tracking every single event. We've got a, you know, a checklist we're going down, you know, one of which is, hey, the next, next again, notification team is on the ground. Hey, they're moving to the, the house. And um, a lot of things have to be synchronized because um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that don't happen until the next again have been notified and we have confirmation of that. So really, everything's kind of you know kept incredibly you know close hold uh, until we know the family's been notified. So we're tracking this, and you know I think they go to your parents' house. I know they go to your parents' house. They ring the doorbell. Um, your mom's here, but she doesn't answer. And I think that was you know providential that she didn't. And then you're like, ooh, okay. Well, this is kind of the this is kind of the contingency plan is when hey, there's no next to Ken there. We really don't know how to contact them. So you kind of have to just watch the house. And uh, if I remember right, I think Calvin notified the sheriff's department and, uh, and let them know let them know what was going on. So that you know, the, we were pretty sure Haleyville would notice a bunch of strangers showing up and hanging out, you know, in the vicinity of your house, your parents' house there. And we didn't want the cops rolling in on it. So yeah, I, I think we noticed, notified them ahead of time what was going on. And then I, I think Calvin was up in the woods, if I remember right, he, uh, overlooking the house like with some binos, you know, until uh, your dad came home. And, you know, we were getting, I think, updates every half hour. He was calling in and giving us updates. And, you know, we got the call, hey, your you know, cars arrived. You know, let's like Mr. Forrester's walk into the house. We're going to give him 10 minutes, and then we're going to go do the notification. That was kind of the events of that day. And if I remember right, I think that was in the, you know, mid to late afternoon is when, um, you know, they were actually able to uh, establish contact with your parents. And then, we synchronized it so that um, Andrew Bear, Captain Andrew Bear, Andy Bear, and uh, Chief Master Sean Gleffy, you know, then did uh, what we tried to do was a near simultaneous notification to you uh, and to your parents. And I believe we were somewhat, you know, within the same time frame doing that. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, do you know Sasha Qualley and Barry Crawford, who ended up, and maybe you can explain their roles, but they had on civilian clothes. And yes. I know, I think it's some, I think they were, they the ones that were driving by the house. I know our neighbors stopped them at some point. Do you know what happened there? I don't. They, they were part of the team that came in with Ed uh, Lagren. And the way we do this is that the, um, the commander does the notification and, uh, you know, he's in, you know, very scripted way we do this. Very, very scripted. So there's a, uh, you know, the, the notification team 
is usually at least two people. And uh, it's, it's, the, it's the senior ranking officer of the unit, if we can get them there. And they're in their blue Air Force Service dress uniform. Uh, and they do the notification. And there's, a, there's a script that goes with how you do that. And, you know, you adjust as needed. But there's, um, there's you know, the, the statements that you say. And then um, once you've notified the family, frankly, that person, and I've done it myself, I, you know, when, when I was a squadron commander, you're kind of bad news. Like, I mean, you don't hang around at that point. You go in. Your mission is to deliver the notification, and then you leave. And so the way we do the follow-on to this is we have a family liaison team, which is not in uniform. You know, they're they're um, they're dressed like anybody else would on you know in, in some capacity. You know, neatly so. But in this case, it was um, Sasha Kowali and Captain uh, uh, Barry Crawford, who were the uh, people we picked to uh, to be the stay behind and to kind of you know help you all through all the things that have to happen immediately after. Uh, notification and something like this, especially when it comes to flying up to Dover, because that becomes, you know, a, a really time critical event. Uh, and it's just, just a lot, you know, to take on when, when you've heard this news and then, okay, hey, now I've got to decide whether, you know, you got to decide whether you want to go to Dover and see the, uh, the dignified transfer when the remains arrive. And, and there's a lot of things that have to fall into place very quickly. And it's the family liaison's team to do that. And also, you know, obviously to keep you all informed of updates as we get them on, you know, what had happened previously to result in the tragic loss of Mark. So um, I think Barry and Sasha did a, did a tremendous job. You know, that that's either your, you've prepared your life to go do a role like that, or you have not. There's no amount of, you know, just in time training to prepare somebody to be effective in that environment. And that's, um, that's why we like to do those within the special tactics family, because, uh, you know, it's, it's us, it's, you know, it's a, you all are our broader family and we want to handle it um, the best we can. I think you guys know Barry Crawford later on uh, was uh, awarded the Air Force Cross for actions uh, in Afghanistan as well. And I, I, I imagine probably being inspired by hanging out with you guys, you know, and a great guy. We're very happy that, um, you know, that relationship worked out well. And I think most of the cases, you know, unfortunately, we've got a lot of practice with this. And, and most of the, most of all the cases, I don't know of any that have really gone bad. Uh, I know of ones outside of special tactics that have. But, you know, we've been able to, um, I think, because of the extra effort we put into this uh, and the preparation that, that's done, is that, you know, we've... Um, we haven't had misinformation. We haven't had misnotifications. You know, the people that go there are prepared to be successful. You know, it's something that's just a life-altering, tragic mission. But it's part of the business that we're in. You know, there, there's no guarantee that we're going to come back from the missions we do. And so uh, we have to be prepared to, uh, you know, take care of the families in the event that uh, that happens. In general, I will say that the team, I think, would just handle it as, just as well as possibly could have done. And, I'm pretty sure Barry had a brand new baby at home, and yeah, I, think you uh, did. I, yeah, I remember him at some point talking to his wife. And you know, w- of course, we were all dialed in on our issue, but I can remember for a few seconds thinking, "Man, poor guy, his wife doesn't have him there with his new baby, and he's having to spend so much time taking care of us because there was a lot to do." And and quite frankly, for for those who've read the book. We didn't want them to leave. Like each night, we didn't want them to leave. Yeah. We were just kind of that attached to them. That's great. I think they were, I, I think when I showed up um, for the funeral, they may have been there cooking breakfast for you guys. I can't remember, but uh, I was I was very confident that we had picked the right people. And you know, Barry would have been on the deployment if it wasn't for the birth of his uh, child. And that's what that's the reason he was there. You know, back at home station. So you know, that that was just providential that um, he was around to do that. And I, I know that he was. Certainly, um, he told me privately that how much it meant to him to be able to, um, you know, be, be with your family during this, this time and provide a little bit of comfort he could. But for, for all of us that are involved in this, it happens all too soon. You know, I mean, you're, you're a young captain or a you know, young uh, NCO, and uh, you know, now you're dealing with the loss of a friend, and you're young, you know, you're, you're helping the parents, and you're, you're learning life, you know, quickly, and uh, in a lot of cases for the first time. So we're, yeah. we're proud of all those guys for how, how, how um, you know, hate, hate to do it, but if you're going to do it, you want to do it well. Well, I remember I got to my parents' house uh, that night. It, it was dark at that time, and there were a lot of people there by then. And I was still outside the house before I'd gone in, and Sasha pulls up. Maybe he and Barry both were together. I'm not sure, but he pulls up in this old 
city of Haleyville car that was parked out there. <laughs> just an old, I don't, I can't remember what it was now, maybe an LTD, I'm not sure, but, and he got out and he had on these khaki pants, I think, with an untucked shirt. And I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> I had no clue who he was, you know, but then, of course, he came, he came to be a, you know, like a lifesaver for us, him and Barry. Well, I hope he was wearing socks because your dad told me years later that he fired some guy for not wearing socks in a job interview or didn't hire him or something. So I sure hope those two those two guys were dressed appropriately. <laughs> I think they were. I don't think you got any complaints out of dad. <laughs> so, General Arfield, can you tell me, since you have done this before too, what what is going – how do you prepare? Like maybe on the flight coming into Haleville and into Tuscaloosa, what's going through their minds? How do you prepare for it? Yeah. Man, that's hard. Man, it's one of the hardest things you're ever going to do because the more you do it, the harder it gets. Plus, you know you're just going to blow up somebody's life. You know they're they're living their life and everything's fine, and you know you're tracking the minutes down. You're like, I'm going to blow their life up in 45 minutes, and 30 minutes, and 20 minutes, and 10 minutes, and you know you you don't want to you don't want to screw up. I mean, so I think it's kind of like going into combat. You're like, I just don't want to screw up. Or I'm not worried about getting killed. I'm worried about screwing up, and I want to do my job well. So um, there's a lot of details and timing that has to take place when you're doing a, a Mexican notification. And, you know, trying to make sure the family, like, you know, you want to know where the people are, but you don't want to call them up and, you know, tip your hand on it either. So, you know, you're thinking through the contingencies. Okay, hey, I go there, and you know, in, in Ed's case, you know, hey, I go there, and it's not the right people, or they're not there. When I was the commander of the 24th Special Tactics Squadron in February of 2007, we had a helicopter crash in Afghanistan uh, with, with a four-man search and rescue team on it. And the teammate, Scott Duffman, uh, was killed in the crash, and then the three other his three other teammates were very critically injured. And, uh, and so we had to do, a, you know, a four-way notification on that. And I, I um, uh, notified his wife uh, early the next morning after the helicopter. You know, we found the helicopter and confirmed that, that, uh, that he, he was deceased and did, did all the proper protocols on that. But it's just, I mean, it's really hard, you know, and, and you want it to go right. And there's a, there's a lot of different moving parts. And so you're trying to, you know, make sure all those things are together, both for the notification, but then for all the follow-on things that have to happen. Both within the unit that usually send a replacement forward, and then also with the memorial services and, and the um, to see if the family wants to travel up to Dover for the uh, dignified transfer. That's the next big event that's got to happen, and you've got to be ready to start moving out on that. But you know, there's just a lot of there's a lot of emotion wrapped into a lot of preparation. And what I would do is you've got to you've got to be able to do the notification regardless of how people react. You've got to be ready to kind of move in whatever direction they, you know, they move in and provide this life shattering news with compassion and care and professionalism. And then you've got to keep your own emotions in check. And the way I've done that with multiple different experiences like this is you just got to rehearse it. You've got to go through the script in your mind enough times where you don't have to think about it. A couple of years ago, Bill Schrader was a uh, squadron commander. He, he was an officer that worked for me, and he was a uh, squadron commander out of the Lackland Air Force Base. And um, there was a uh, trainee, you know, distraught trainee, he had, he had you know issues going on, came back into the squadron with a gun. And um, Bill saved his first sergeant's life by getting her out of the way and then attacked the guy with the gun. It was an inside, you know, inside shooting thing, insider attack. And, um, and Bill was killed in the attack. Both, both, of, them, both of them were killed. And um, first sergeant got out, saved her life, but the attacker and, and Bill were both killed. So I had to give, yeah, I was the, uh, the one star who gave the flag at Arlington to his wife, Abby. And it was, um, you know, to Abby, and it was to both of their small sons, maybe they were like three, maybe three and five years old, and then to Bill's father. And um, I had I had something personal to say to each one of them, you know, the father and mom. And so I start with Abby, and then the two sons, and then dad and mom. And and you have to, you know, you go through the line, you take a knee, and you hand the flag to, to them, and you and you say something meaningful about their their loved one. That funeral was, I think, at I don't know, maybe ten or eleven in the morning at Arlington. And I remember on the flight up to D.C. from Tampa. You know, just thinking through, okay, what am I going to say to each person? 
and just crying my eyes out on the airplane as I'm thinking through what I'm going to tell them. And then that night I practiced. That night, actually, we went out to dinner with the family. So I'm just kind of like, wow, the is going to be harder than you guys know. And um, this was the internment at, at Arlington for, for Bill Schrader. And, uh, you know, I got up like at 4.30 in the morning and I, and I set my hotel room up like the chairs would be at Arlington. And I just practiced it. And I think I practiced it probably 15, 20 times. And so when it came time to do it, I didn't have to think about it. It was just muscle memory. And I could do it with compassion, but I didn't have to, I didn't have to worry about controlling my emotions because I was able to kind of just, I knew what to say. And I think in a situation like doing Mexican notification for someone like with your family, you know, your family, you know, Ed and Calvin and all of them are thinking the same things. It's like, you know, they, 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 they have their own loss because of it as well. And, you know, I tell you when I um, talk with, new commanders, you know, when I was eight, when I was still on active duty, uh, I would uh, frequently get asked to, you know, help prepare future commanders to do something like this. And um, I was like, hey, man, here's, here's the thing that you're going to be thinking about. When you're driving up to that door, when you're driving over to the house and you're walking up to the door as a commander, and this is your family, like you're the commander, you know, of the squadron, in my case, I'm the group commander, the overall commander for this. The thing you're thinking, the thing that I thought at least the whole time, in the back of my mind was that I do everything I could as a commander to prevent this from happening. And what do I learn from it in order to keep it from happening again? You know, that's what's going through your mind. So we've had better training, better equipment, been organized in a different way. You know, is there, is there anything we could have done to prevent this from happening? Now that's what goes, that was what was going through my mind with, uh, with Mary. And when I was, that's what went through my mind in Haleyville you know, the morning before I came in and briefed your family on uh, and what had happened in Aruzgan, you know, and, um, you know, you, you prep for it and you, you know, kind of have all these thoughts, but that's, uh, that, that's our job. Uh, it's our mission to care for the families and we do it at, at the highest possible standard in a way that we hope people would do for us if we were in that situation as well. So General Armfield, do you want to go, I'm thinking now for the morning of the funeral, and that's the first time that we met you. I think that's the first time sure. you were in Haleville. Is there anything? Do you want to jump to that now, or was there anything we've skipped yeah. over that's important? No, that, I think that's good. So, Thad, thanks again just for the opportunity to kind of you know talk talk through this again. I think it's good for all of us. When uh, Mark's funeral, um, I believe, was on the uh, the seventh of October, Thursday, the seventh of October, and the and the memorial, and the funeral in the afternoon. We went to dinner that night, and then a lot of us flew back after that. But um, I was um, at a commander's conference on the um, 3rd, 4th, and 5th uh, out in Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico. And so uh, Major General Mann and the vice commander of AFSOC and I uh, took a, took an airplane, took one of the AFSOC airplanes from Cannon out on the, uh, it's, you know, it's on the Texas-New Mexico border out in the middle of nowhere. And um, we, we flew into Haleyville direct. And, uh, you know, got on the ground and our, our team there met us and, uh, we went over and, uh, and had dinner and kind of just got a quick, I think we had, we, we, we had dinner and pizza out there because it was the only thing open that time of night. And, um, I do remember landing, uh, at Haleyville airport and the, aer- the airport manager or the sheriff or one of the officials came out and met us. And it was the first sense I had that, uh, Hey, this town's special. I mean, the, you know, we've done a lot of funerals and this is, this was, you know, uh, going back to John Chapman uh, in 01, like we, we've done this numerous times. And I've been in a number of different towns, been in Los Angeles, been up in uh, Pennsylvania, you know, Texas, just, you know, all over the country doing uh, doing these. And um, I just felt, you know, something was special about Haleyville. Just, the, you know, the fact that, you know, there was an official out there to meet us, kind of told us, hey, look, you know, we're, you know, the whole town is here to take care of, uh, you know, of you all and the forestry family, whatever you need. You know, let us know. And uh, we went over to Pizza Hut, I think about 9, 9.30, maybe 10 o'clock at night or whatever, and kind of got a brief from our team on, you know, how things were going to go the next day. And so, uh, General, how many people were there? It was, um, I want to say Chief Master Sergeant Mike LaMonica, the group superintendent, was with me. And uh, OG Manon, Major General OG Manon, myself. And I think the two, I want to say it may have been um, – it was Calvin, Chief Master Sergeant uh, Calvin Markham was with us. And I want to say Ed Lager may have been with us and maybe a couple other folks. There were like five or six of us there. And I think they, we pretty much shut the place down, you know, just kind of going through what had happened and what was going to happen tomorrow and making sure we had, you know, knew who the family members were and, 
and um, and you know helping us make sure we're, we were prepared to be most you know most effective the next day through all the things that had to happen. Uh, and then there's a series of events that were going to happen the next day. Uh, we were going to go meet you all at the family's house and talk through it in detail what we knew about the situation leading up to Mark's engagement with the enemy and uh, and what he had done his actions on the objective and so uh, we were talking we were i was talking to afghanistan actually from haleyville to get details you know up to the minute uh right before i walked in to, to talk to you all in the morning and then uh we had a little break and then we we're having moral service at the high school drive out to the, to the cemetery have the internment with the flyover and then have a dinner there at the uh at the school afterwards so uh you know there's a series of events where each of us had a role to play and so uh the team briefed me on Preparing me to help explain what had happened with Mark, the family. You know, we briefed Sean Manon on his remarks that he was going to make at the high school and then how the internment was going to go. And we know that that's a very scripted event. So we want to make sure that the flyover and all the different parts and pieces were all, you know, synchronized as best we could the day prior because we still had time to adjust if we needed to. And then kind of how we were going to, you know, flow through the dinner and then, you know, the end of mission and return home after that. So we spent, you know, a couple hours going through each of those events in detail on Wednesday the 6th, and then I, I remember getting up early, and uh, he got up early and, uh, you know, prepped myself. I had another phone call with uh, Colonel Hughes, uh, who was, you know, of course, in Afghanistan, and then I went for about a three-mile run uh, to kind of just kind of, that's how I process, and I went for a, for about three, four-mile run through the hills there in Haleyville and came back, and, uh, you know, I had, I had prepped my uniform the night before, and um, sure enough, I could not find my tie. Like, I, you know, I had a tie and I could not find it. And I think it must have fallen out of my little have a way I hang it all up and it's always there. And it was not there. So I spent about half an hour in a panic trying to find a, my uniform tie for this critical event. And um, luckily, my teammate, General Manon, had an extra tie with him. And um, I was able to, uh, <laughs> you know, quit. When I, when I fessed up to the general that I'd lost my tie, um, he, he, you know, he being the, uh, the senior officer and being well-prepared had two of them. And so I borrowed his and, you know, we were, we were underway at that point after a small, uh, small panic attack on my part, but, um, it all, uh, you know, we, we left, left under the hotel and, um, then went over to your, to your parents' house and, um, I'll, I'll stop there and just see if you have any questions before we talk about that event. Did you stay at that hotel in Haleville? I remember it being a pretty decent hotel. So- it was not, um. It was not the rundown one that I passed by years later when my family came up to run the, uh, the race, but there was uh, there was one right near the Pizza Hut that I remember, and it may have been outside of Haleyville or something, but it was uh, it wasn't bad. It was, but nice. it was, I think it was, it was like close a, to Pizza Hut. Okay, I just I was a, I mean that's not the best of hotels, but it's all we have. So it was, I don't remember it, okay. it being an issue. Okay, but my standards yeah, I know, are pretty low uh, when it comes to hotels. So. <laughs> Barry and Sasha stayed in another town about 30 minutes away called Russellville. That's where, and then everybody that came in, and then they came back like for the, when Lifetime filmed for the show, they all stayed at the Best Western up in Russellville. So I was just curious. About I think that. that's, I think that's where we were, Seth. Now that you mentioned that, that's, that, that's where I think we were. Okay. Cause it was about a 30 minute drive to your house that okay. day. Yeah. So we, I think there's like a, there's, there's, there is a, I've seen the Haleyville motel and, you guys told us last time we came up there not to not to stay there, so not to not to ditch it, but you know, God bless them. Yeah, we're trying. So, um, to, we're, we're trying to help motivate them to tr- to get somebody else in there. <laughs> good. Well, yeah, I know we're we're going a little long here, but um, the, uh, let me just talk a little bit about the uh, the, the day of the seventh uh, there in Haleyville. You know what? That, that, I'll never forget that day. I've done a lot of these, and um, what a, what a special town it was. Just you know, like you you uh, have described multiple times, it's it's what America needs to look like. You know, you hear about towns like this, and I told folks when I got back, I'm like, hey, you know, I've done a lot of these, and I've been to a lot of small towns, and I've heard about military uh, our, our fallen having these experiences where the whole town just shuts down. But I've never seen it. And I had a sense when we showed up there, this would be, this would be like that. And folks had kind of told me like, Hey, this is going to be different. You know? So, um, we, you know, we drove over to your, your family's house and uh, I had some, I think maps and maybe some graphic graphics, you know, some overhead imagery, unclassified, um, unclassified overhead imagery of, um, the, the, uh, Tangalak village and, um, uh, province and kind of just talked you all through, I think all the family members were in there, talked you guys through, uh, what we knew had happened uh, in the previous weeks and, and up to Mark's, you know, final engagement with the enemies and, uh, and what he had done. 
And so uh, I appreciate the opportunity to walk you all through that. Um, we, we strove to have the latest and best information possible. And, and like I said, I was talking to the folks in Afghanistan, you know, up to an hour prior uh, to meeting with your family to get the, the latest updates, um, you know, as we learn more about what had happened uh, in, in the previous week. So appreciate the opportunity to visit with your family and, uh, and answer any questions you always had. And, you know, what amazed me was I, I went back, you know, to Haleyville last year to do the race in May. And my son was with me, who's, uh, who's now a Marine Lieutenant. And uh, he was in his senior year at Alabama as a business major. And, um, you know, I hadn't been in the house since we were there to do that briefing. And uh, I walked into the house with my, uh, my wife uh, and my son. And, um, you know, and it just, it just was, it was tough. It was tough sitting there. Um, the emotions of that day came back and this was, you know, 2019. And uh, it's like, I, you know, I, 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 I remember all this now. And at the time you do it, you don't have emotions. You're, you're on mission and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're focused on making sure you're as accurate and precise as you can be. Uh, you know, and then we come back nine years later, and I, I'm I'm back in your living room again, back in your parents' living room. It was uh, you know, a little bit, little bit of an emotional event to be there with all that because it really hadn't changed a whole lot. Uh, but I've got my family with me now. You know, it's kind of it was uh, it was unique and, and a real blessing, I'll say. Yeah. So uh, we uh, we briefed your family. I think we we're there maybe two hours, hour and a half, two hours, and uh, we had a little bit of time before the uh, memorial service, and so. Uh, Joe Mannon and myself and uh, Chief LaMonica and I think one other, one other person. It may just been the three of us. Your family told us about the barbecue place down there in Haleyville, near the, near the high school, I think. I don't remember the name of the barbecue place, but I, I, could, I could picture it in my mind clear as yesterday. And um, we uh, had taken our blue coat off with all of our ribbons and badges and rank and stuff. And we had our blue shirt on, long sleeve blue shirt with our rank and our, you know, I think, jump wings and a tie. And uh, luckily we had a tie. And uh, I, we, we walk in the restaurant. I mean, I'll tell you, it stopped. It was like, the, you know, the, the bar in Star Wars. It, it just stopped. And everyone looked at us. And there was a lady sitting like to my 10 o'clock as I walked in the door. And I hear her on her cell phone. And she says, I got to go. The Air Force people are here. And she hangs the phone up. It is dead quiet. I think General Manning or myself or somebody was like, uh, you know, hey, good morning, everybody. Or good afternoon, everybody. You know, thanks for having us here. And uh, we went up to the counter and ordered, and everybody kind of went back to their business. And, uh, you know, we ordered and sat down and, and had our meal. And, you know, a couple of folks came over and, 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 uh, and welcomed us and thanked us. And this one, one lady, she was probably in her 50s or so, came over, and she's like, um, I forget the lady's name, but the young, the young girl who was working the register. You know, and she goes, they didn't, you know, she mentioned her name, you know, Susie or whatever it was. She goes, Susie didn't charge you for these meals, did she? And so and she's looking right at me, right? And I'm like, well, I can't lie to her, you know, but I can't tell her the truth because she's going to get that girl killed. So I was like, ma'am, we're good. I was like, we are not allowed to take, you know, free food. Like, that. it is against the law for us to do this. We're reimbursed by the U.S. government for being here. It's our honor. You know, we want to support the small businesses of Haleyville. Thank you very much. And she's just like, I, I, uh, you know, and I was like, no, ma'am, we didn't let her. We, we didn't let she, um, you know, we didn't let her do that. But um, I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't, you know, that girl getting a lot of, she'll, she'll be the girl for the rest of her time in this, in this town that, you know, charged the Air Force guys for lunch. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I was like, okay, you know, it's just a neat thing. We went over to the high school and um, went to the funeral home, went to the high school, and, uh, you know, it was just packed. You know, they let school out early that day, totally, just completely full, all kind of different folks there. I think the fire marshal allowed us to probably have a hundred more people in there than we were supposed to. And, uh, just a remarkable honoring memorial service. Um, there's a, um, there's an HBO movie that parallels this pretty well. And it's called taking chance. And, um, it's a 68 minute movie. It's probably shorter than the interview I'm doing with you. It, uh, it really, really, um, kind of shows how this plays out, but, I think it's like a in the movie. It's based on a, on, on the real story of a um, corporal, marine corporal named uh, I forget his chances, his first name or last name, but you know, it's taking chance home. It's the story of a marine lieutenant colonel that escorts this young marine um, back to his hometown and the experiences they have. It came out, I think, yeah, you know, it came out before Mark was killed. I want to say it came out in '09. It's an HBO movie, but. It uh, it's, it's, it was just you know, the whole Haleyville experience reminded me of this um, 
movie, but we drive from the high school to the funeral. And, and the things I'll never forget, I'll, I won't forget anything of these two days, was the entire town was on the road. The entire town. And um, for miles, I don't know how many miles it is from the high school to the cemetery, but it's a ways. And every American flag, and there was this one mobile home, and I swear they probably took the, they probably stole the flag from a car dealer because it was this monster American flag. It was hooked to both ends of the mobile home and it came out probably, you know, like 15 yards and folks had it, you know, set up and it was amazing. And, um, uh, you're like, that's just what America needs to look like, you know? And, um, you know, we got to the graveside, and I think that just went, you know, if I remember right, it went exactly as planned. The uh, the folks from Montgomery, the F-16 unit here at Montgomery that I later got to fly with and thank them for doing the flyover, you know, did the flyover. One of our controllers was running the, uh, you know, the the, um, the the call-in for it to make sure it was synchronized uh, correctly with the 21-gun uh, salute and the playing of taps. And, uh, you know, then we went to the high school. I think it was the elementary school or middle school and had dinner afterwards. You know, just what a welcoming group of folks, um, you know, that cooked dinner for us. And, you know, mostly all the unit that could was there. And a lot of the folks from, I think we had a plane from, we had a C-130 from Pope fly folks in North Carolina from the 21st March unit. And then we had another C-130 come up from Herbert Field with uh, with uh, members of the special tactics community uh, from our command and, and others uh, that could make it, that came up for the for the funeral Memorial of the funeral. And then uh, I think we loaded back up in C-130s and flew back that night. And it was, I just remember, you know, it had been a long couple of weeks, you know, with Danny and then with Mark. And then I'm on a plane full of, full of my guys going back to get at it again. You know, and it's not lost on us. This is what we signed up to do. And then on the next mission, the next deployment, this could be any one of us. And we would hope that, you know, our family received the same, you know, affirmation that Mark did. But uh, Mark was special. You know, we we've uh, we love every one of our families, our Gold Star families, our fallen families. But, uh, but I'll tell you, I think Mark had an outsized impact on the unit he served in, the airmen that he came into contact with. And, uh, you know, he had an outsized effect on the enemy, that's for sure. And, um, you know, you capture it well in your book. I think, um, you know, uh, Park Hughes wrote your forward for that. And he um, he knew Mark well as a squadron commander. You know, uh, man, his legacy lives on. And, I'll finish with this stat and see what other questions you got. But, um, in, um, you know, so my son goes up to Alabama and he's a business major and uh, I was still on active duty. I was, I was down at us central command in Tampa and, uh, we went up to, uh, take Scott to his, you know, fall of his freshman year. And, um, the veteran center there is just phenomenal. And, and the folks in that veteran center are, are just totally switched on. And, and we're, we're, we're great folks. Welcome to us and my son, who was on GI Bill at the time, so he had better benefits. So we're in there doing the paperwork for GI Bill stuff, and I'm, I'm, you know, rooting around like I always do in places. And I go back in the, um, you know, the student lounge, the veteran student lounge, and, and, you know, here is a stunning picture, portrait of Mark Forrester hanging on the wall. And uh, I just, I mean, I just, I'm pretty sure I cried for a little bit just because, boom, there it is, and I wasn't expecting it. And I remembered, oh, yeah, I remember the picture got dedicated. And you guys, when that when the building was dedicated, y'all came up and did that. And so um, there was just the picture. There was no there was no description of, you know, Senior Mark Forrester, Air Force Combat Controller, what he had done. And I told the guys there, I'm like, hey, you need the Silver Star Citation that goes with this because that's what's compelling. And it's a great portrait of Mark. The folks that come in here need to read what he did. Like, that. that's that's his legacy and so um took a little bit of time but uh when we came up to do to haleyville in, in may of 19 of last year uh, a couple of folks had helped me um secure a duplicate copy of the silver star citation that those don't exist like like they're they, they only make they only make one there's not two and so um luckily we had the ability to reach um, deep within the Air Force leadership to produce a second copy. And that's what's up now, uh, hanging right with uh, the bust that's been done of Mark. And um, his portrait's been moved to a, you know, really prominent area of the Veterans Center. Right when you come in, you see it. And, uh, and, and we're, we were proud to be able to um, get his Silver Star citation up there as well. Because when all those veterans are going to read that, you can't not read it, right? third highest uh, award for valor in the United States. 
And um, any veteran is going to go up there and they're going to read that Silver Star Citation and um, know what a graduate from that institution had done. You know, and, and it's, it goes without saying that, you know, Mark had a lot of options. He, he was a finance, if I remember right, he was a finance uh, business degree at Alabama, which is kind of the top end of the business degrees. And he had tons of, um, Mark had tons of options. And, uh, you know, God called him to serve his nation uh, at the tip of the spear. He did it. He did it well. And, uh, you know, it's not lost on any of us that, uh, you know, we're all going to die one day and we're all going to have a story to tell. And uh, some of us, our lives will be longer than others. Uh, but, you know, Mark went out fighting to save his brother, you know, an African-American black brother. And that, that's just the coolest thing. You look at the military and you're like, what do we do? Like, where, where are things good? And, uh, man, we don't care, you know, who's what skin color, where they came from, if they're aliens or what they are. Man, we're all there together as brothers and sisters fighting together for a common cause, and that's each other. And that's what Mark did. And it doesn't surprise me reading about his family and his upbringing and his training and the interactions he had with all of his teammates, with, you know, Bobby and George and um, Ish and, you know, uh, Johnny Yellick and, you know, the impact he had on all those. And then when, when the opportunity came to go into the line of fire, to directly engage the enemy, to go out and save Calvin Harrison, he didn't flinch. He did, Mark did, what we all wish we would do in combat, and he did it. And I think there's a, there's a special place for people who are that selfless to do those kind of things. And it was my honor to, uh, to be his uh, group commander, and it was my honor to serve with him, and it continues to be my honor to be associated with the Forrester family. Well, thank you, General Armfield. That was very good, powerful, and uh, appreciate you stirring up all those emotions and, and those details. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, I appreciate the opportunity to, to, to just uh, visit with you uh, this evening and uh, talk about Mark a little bit because I think that's a that's a I couldn't think of a better thing to be doing, you know, this weekend than uh, than talking about your brother and my teammate and uh, and what he did, you know, now ten years ago. So I appreciate you having me on.